So this next year, whether you call it a resolution or not, of course we all have plans, we have hopes, we have dreams, whether, I mean, it's how I lead our church and the, and the hopes and the dreams and the, the plans I have for our church moving this, for this next year moving forward, the plans that I have for my family as we plan out our vacations and our time together and, and life with three kids now. I mean, we make plans for the new year, but we have to have well-rounded plans. So it's not just about here's what I hope happens, here's what I wanna see, here's what I wanna do, but also to include what do we do when there's a challenge? What do we do when we, we hit a roadblock or a wall? That allows us to have a better, a, a better thought out plan. So that's really what I want us to do this morning. I, I'm, I'm assuming you've got some kind of plan for this next year. I wanna help you figure out what to do when that gets challenged. What to do when, when it doesn't go the way that you thought it was gonna go. Because 2017, check this, 2017 can be a fantastic year even if your plans don't go well even if the plans and the goals that you've made don't end up looking like the way that you thought they would. If we have a well-balanced plan, we plan ahead, we set goals, of course, but we also prepare ourselves for the challenges and the roadblocks and the temptations and the hindrances along the way, we will still have a phenomenal year because we know how to walk through difficult times. I'll just be the first one to tell you, it's the very first day of 2017. You ready? The most encouraging thing you're gonna hear from me all day, you're gonna have a rough year. <laughs> You're welcome. There's gonna be days where you're like, man, it's great, it's so much better than last year. And then there's gonna be other days where you're like, I don't think we can make it anymore. We are always gonna have that. So through scripture, I want us to see how do we begin a new year? How do we begin a new year? Not just with a resolution and a hopeful plan. How do we begin our new year expecting difficulties, expecting challenges? And I want you to see how Jesus deals with this. So we're gonna look at an account, a story, where Jesus, right before he goes into his ministry, he's starting a new chapter in his story, in his life. He has, he has grown up, and now it's time for him to start his ministry. And there's this very interesting account, interesting story that happens right before he begins his ministry. And I think we're going to learn a lot as we begin our new year. So head over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. Let me set it up for you. Like I said, Jesus has grown up. John the Baptist, if you're familiar with him, he's been telling people, hey, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Then Jesus comes on the scene. He gets baptized. And here's what we see happen next. This is immediately after Jesus' baptism, right before he begins his ministry here on earth. Verse one out of Matthew chapter four. It says, then Jesus, after he was baptized, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be what? to be tempted. There's going to be some challenges here. Into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. He did not eat. He fasted and became very hungry. Now pause there for a second because three things Jesus does before he begins this new era of his life, this new part of his story, this new ministry that he has come to earth for. He did three things. He was first led by the spirit. He fasted and he was tempted. Now I could spend, man, we could have a whole series, a whole sermon on each of those. And I'd encourage you, man, in your own time, as you're preparing for the new year, we need to have elements of each of these. Am I being spirit-led? Are my plans my plans? Or if I said, okay, God, I'm laying them at your feet, I'll let you lead me. Fasting, I'm not telling you to not eat this whole year, but some of you, that may be your resolution, a good way to lose weight, I guess. But he fasts because he wants to focus on God. He's redirecting his focus. He's pursuing God. He's seeking after God. That's what it means to fast. And then lastly, it says that he, during this time, he was also tempted. Now, that's what I want us to pay attention to. I want you to see how the devil tempts Jesus because Jesus had his plan. Jesus had his mission. And the devil's mission is to hinder Jesus's mission. 
So your mission, your vision, your hope, your dreams, your plan for this next year, it's gonna be a rough year because the devil doesn't want those to work out for you. God pulls you close to him. Satan tries to pull you away from God. And so that's what we're gonna see the devil do here, tempt Jesus in several different ways that we're gonna see. And if we can figure out the devil's schemes, just like a sports team looks at their opponent and, and plans for the challenges that they'll face, know the cards before it's played, then we have a better chance of moving through those challenges well. So here, I'm gonna read through the rest of this account. I need you to do two things for me. As I put the scriptures up on the screen, every time you see the word if, I need you to do two things. One, circle it if you're taking notes in your Bible or on your worship guide. Write down the word if. I want you to see how many ifs there are. And every time we come to an if, I need you to say the word if. So let's practice. When we see the word if, you say? Man, you guys are good. You guys went to bed early last night, didn't you? 10.30. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Verse three, verse three. My kids stayed up later than I did. Verse three, here's the, here's the temptations and the challenges. Remember your part. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So not even, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Verse seven, Jesus responded. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Verse eight, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away. The angels came and took care of Jesus. How many ifs did we have? Three ifs, three strategies, three schemes that the devil uses to lure us away from God and our plans of moving closer to him. Now, I'll tell you, as I, as I look through Jesus's temptations here, I'm not worried of being tempted like for this first one. I don't think the devil's ever gonna come to me and say, well, Brian, if you really love God, tell the stones to become loaves of bread. I don't think I'm gonna deal with that because what we need to see is there is a more general scheme and strategy that Satan is using for each and every one of us, specifically to Jesus here and specifically to each and every one of us this year. Now, the reason we have to do this is so we don't become surprised right? What the devil is brilliant at, truly brilliant at, is, is catching us off guard, blindsiding us, surprising us. And we don't respond well with surprises. I most certainly do not respond well with surprises. I don't know if parents you've ever dealt with this, kids, this might be you, is I'll wake up in the middle of the night, I'll go to the bathroom, I'll go get something downstairs, and I'm still out of it, and lights are all off, and I'll kind of walk back into my room like half days, and then my son will be standing center room. Scares me half to death. Cole, my, my about 20-month-old, he came in and did this the other day. I was coming back into the room, out of it. I walked in, and he's just, I mean, as creepy as you could. It was out of a horror movie, just standing there with his blankets. And I about ran into him, and I see him, and I about karate chopped my own son. Because he scared me. I was like, I wasn't expecting him there. He surprised me, and I don't handle surprises well. We never do. We say things, we do things, we act, we react, we respond in ways that we wish we could change. We regret them. So if we can limit our surprises, if we can begin to, to know the schemes and the strategies of our enemy, we will limit our amount of surprises. And this next year, we won't be as surprised. 
We know there's going to be ups. We know there's going to be downs. We have our plans. But if we know how Satan works against us, then we won't be as surprised. So don't be surprised by the schemes and strategies of the enemy. And here's what I want you to see. We're going to look at each of those three ifs and the larger scheme, the larger strategy that Satan uses. Now, here's something very interesting. There's a general theme, like I said. It's not just we're all not going to get tempted to turn bread or turn stones into bread, like I said. There's a general theme, and we see that general idea in actually 1 John. Look at how these connect. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, author says, Do not love the world and know that Satan is the ruler of the world. Please know that. Satan, even here in his discussion and temptation of Jesus, offers him, Hey, I own the kingdoms. I own the world. And I'm going to give it to you, he said here. So understand that the devil does own the world. God has allowed him reign over the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and he's going to list three things. Look at these. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from where? The world comes from the devil. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So that lust of the flesh, the way that we read in 1 John, that's that first if, generally speaking. Lust of the flesh is focusing on our weaknesses. Jesus, he did what for 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness? He fasted, so he did not eat. In scripture, even if you go back, it says for 40 days, 40 nights, he fasted and became, shocker, hungry. He was hungry. And so lust of the flesh is our desires. It's our weaknesses that we tend to give into. It's our lack of self-control. And so the very first if that the devil comes at Jesus with is, what's your weakness? Currently you're hungry, so I'm going to poke and prod and I'm gonna give you some, some temptations, some challenges within your weakness. Now we see this. This is usually the first line of attack. This is rarely a surprise for us even though we deal with it a lot, is our weaknesses, man, Satan finds them and he just nitpicks at them. If you are trying, and good luck, if you are trying to eat better this year or live healthier this year, the first challenge is probably on your way to church passing Dunkin' Donuts, isn't it? Is what, I know it's the first day, but we'll start tomorrow, right? Monday's the start of the week. I haven't gone back to next week. I will officially have a full, full, uh, a full week next week. I'm off tomorrow. So we rationalize and those, our weaknesses can begin to pull us apart from the plans that we originally had. The plans we have to move closer to God, Satan will find those weaknesses, exploit them in a very, in a very tempting way. Notice as he tempts Jesus, he's not being overly demanding or rude. He's saying, well, you're hungry. Well, Jesus, man, if you're the son of God, surely you can fix that. He makes it very appealing, but he focuses on Jesus's weakness. That's what it means as far as what 1 John said, the lust of the flesh. It's talking about our desires. And we read out of 1 Corinthians 10. This was a verse that, uh, and I committed to memory as a, as, a, as a kid. I had a youth pastor that said, every teenager needs to know this verse. So teenagers, here's a good one for you. Verse 12 says, so if you think you are standing firm, don't worry, you'll be fine. Doesn't say that. If you think you are standing firm, if you think you've got it together, if you think you're solid, Paul says, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, stay on guard. Continue to stand guard. That goes with the don't be surprised, doesn't it? If we're surprised, if Satan comes with his schemes and his strategies and we're surprised, then we will totally fall away. So stay on guard, stay alert, stay firm, be careful. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to all of mankind. 
But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Instead, he will provide a way out so that you can, look at this. What is it? Endure. He won't let you be be tempted beyond what you can bear, but instead he will provide a way out so that you can endure. He won't take it away. He's going to help you get through it. So to help us not be surprised, the first if is know that yes, we have weaknesses and yes, God is so much stronger. Know your weaknesses. Jesus knew he was hungry. He was very aware and he doesn't deny that. Nowhere in scripture do we see Jesus's interaction with with the devil go something like, oh no, thanks, but I'm really not that hungry. Absolutely, he was hungry. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't try to cover it up. He is embracing his weakness. But look at what Jesus does. He knows his weaknesses, but he relies on God's strength because instead of focusing on his hunger, he turns it around and says, but the word of God says this. It's not just about my desire, but I, all I really need is to live on God's word, God's truth. And so he, he knows his weaknesses. He's aware of them. He's very self-aware. This next year, if you want to have a great 2017, be self-aware. Know your weaknesses. Know the areas that Satan is going to come after you. Know the ifs he's going to bring to you and that are going to be around this lust of the flesh, the, the lack of self-control we tend to have in different areas. And all of us, we have different ones. We all have our weaknesses. Know your weaknesses but don't just focus on your weaknesses. Redirect your focus. Rely on God's strength. Strategy number one that the devil will use on you this year is he will go after your weaknesses. Be aware of it, know it, embrace it, but rely on God's strength, but you also have to know your weakness. First John said, the, the, the next part that we see correlate here is the pride of life. Now this one is much more subtle. And, and each of Satan's temptations here, the schemes and strategies he uses I mean, he is, a cra- he is a craftsman at what he does. He is crafty. Give him some credit because this next temptation of Jesus is very, very subtle. He takes Jesus up to the highest point on the temple. And he says, if you are really the son of God, jump. And he quotes scripture, doesn't he? He says, because God's word says that if you are who you say you are, and if you jump, he won't let your, even your foot touch the ground. The angels will save you. The angels will, pr- will protect you. Now, what would have been so bad about Jesus saying, yeah, you're right. Let me show you exactly who I am, Satan. And he jumps off and scripture comes true. What would have been so wrong with Jesus giving in to this if of the devil? Because we see throughout scripture, I mean, go through the Old Testament, even New Testament, time and time again, I mean, God asked some pretty crazy things, not much crazier than what Satan is suggesting. He tells Abraham, hey, why don't you sacrifice your son? Show me that you're truly faithful to me. He tells Moses, hold up your staff and the the Israelites will win win the battle. He tells Joshua, don't fight Jericho, march around the the city walls. That'll really do the trick. I mean, there's a lot of weird things that God has asked of, of his people to prove their faith. Here, Satan is giving Jesus an opportunity to prove his faith. What would have been so bad about Jesus giving in to this if of the devil? Very simply stated, it's who's asking. It's who's asking. The reason Abraham obeyed God is because it was God that was asking. The reason Joshua obeyed is because it was God. The reason Moses obeyed is because it was God. The reason Jesus did not obey is because it was not God. It all comes down to who is asking. Jesus didn't need to prove himself to the devil, ever. And so often this pride of life is us trying to impress other people. Who are we trying to impress? Who are we trying to show up? 
What relationships do we have in our life, whether it's coworkers, whether it's family, whether it's neighbors, you name it. We, we tend to want to impress, that's that pride piece. We want to impress and prove ourselves to all these other people around us. Look at what Galatians says about it. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Ooh, people pleasers. I'll fall into that category. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, we don't have to worry about pleasing anybody else. We please God, that's it. We'd only have to obey God and that's it. We follow his word and nobody else's. See, understand that God's approval of us has nothing to do with us proving ourselves to others. Let us think in. God's approval of us, what God thinks about us, the love that God has for us, has nothing to do with us trying to prove ourselves to other people. He, knows that he does not ask you or me to prove ourselves to anybody else. So even though on the front, and this is why Satan gets credit for being very, very subtle, is it seems like it would be a good opportunity. Well, I'll, I'll show everybody my faith and I'll show everybody my accomplishments and how great I am. But when it comes down to it, that pride of life will begin to lure us away from not just our plans, but lure us away from God. This next year, you'll have a great 2017 if you aim to please God and that's it. Now, here's the hard part because and Satan knows this, so he pulls in, part of this pride of life, this, this if, is he pulls in other relationships. He says, Jesus, if you're the son of God, jump off of this because who will come and save you? Angels. He pulls in other relationships. And in our life, it's, well, man, I know the plans you have, and I know God asked you to do this, but what's this person going to think? What's that person going to say? What's your boss going to think? What's your family going to think? And all of a sudden, Satan uses our relationships often against us. Pride of life is that second if. If we want to have a great 2017, know the strategies of our enemy. Don't be surprised. And know that he is going to try to get you to please everybody else and minimize pleasing God. Third one that we see coming out of 1 John that ties into the temptations here is what 1 John, the author, talks about as lust of the eyes. We have lust of the flesh, which is our desires, our weaknesses, the pride of life, us trying to prove ourselves and impress other people around us, people-pleasing versus pleasing God. And now the lust of the eyes is, is really, man, I could, I could have all this. It takes our goals, it takes our missions, it takes our hopes and our dreams and helps and, and allows us to focus only on the end goal. Remember what Satan did here? He brings him up to this high mountain, this highest peak, and he shows Jesus, look at all the kingdoms. I'll give them to you. Now, this one is unbelievably sneaky on Satan's part. Unbelievably sneaky because that's really what Jesus came to do. He came to be king of kings, lord of lord, ruler of all the earth, savior of all people. And it seems like, it seems like Satan is saying, Jesus, what you came for, I'll give it to you right now. Satan seems to be giving Jesus an easy way out. Satan seems to be giving Jesus an option, an if, an option, and you can accomplish what you came to do without the cross, without the crucifixion. Jesus, you could be Lord of Lord, you can be ruler of all the earth, you can do what you came to do. You don't have to go through the agony. You don't have to go through the pain. I'm giving you a way out right here. What's the if though? Satan says, I'll give you all of it if you what? If you bow down and worship me. If. This is called the compromise. Lust of the eyes comes down to compromise. 
here's where I want to be, here's where I want to get, man, that's a hard way to get there. I don't, I don't know if I can pull that off. I don't know if I want to. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. Maybe there's another way. And Satan says, yeah, there is, if you follow me instead. Now, on the front end, compromises don't seem like a bad thing. I mean, I compromise with my kids and my family. I mean, it's a, it's a conflict resolution tool. In fact, I compromised a lot this last week, took some time off, and so got to hang out with my kids, and we stayed up late watching movies, and then they still get up at the same time, and I'm trying to sleep in a little bit. And uh, so I compromised this whole last week. Every morning almost, my kids would wake up and say, oh, we, want, we want breakfast. Will you make pancakes? Will you make pancakes? And even the other day, it was like, will you make Mickey Mouse pancakes? I'm like, what is that? And, and each time, each time I was like, no, how about you make me breakfast? And they're like, no, no, you make breakfast. So I was like, I'll compromise with you. This is how I think, right? So instead of making them homemade, whatever Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse pancakes are, I said, I'll make a deal with you. I will make sure you have breakfast and I'll even make sure they're pancakes if you're okay that they're toaster versions. So instead of homemade pancakes, homemade waffles, thank you, Ego, we have toaster waffles. So Almost every day this last week, every morning, I took the 30 seconds to get them out of the freezer, put them in the toaster, and then handed them toaster waffles. And, and they didn't notice much of a difference, which tells you a lot about my cooking. But we compromised. Said, hey, instead of the homemade waffles, I'll give you toaster waffles. Instead of everything that would go into me making them homemade, how about we do the toaster version, the frozen version? That's a compromise, and it works great within the home with kids, but when it comes to our relationship with God, God does not compromise. Scripture tells us that he is a jealous God. He will not share you. He refuses to share you. He wants all of you all the time, every time. He doesn't want toaster waffles. He doesn't want the toaster waffle version of you. He wants all of you, the creation he made and desired to have a relationship with. But Satan is so good because he helps us compromise, doesn't he? This is where you're trying to go. This is the goal. These are the plans. This is what you want. Well, I've got a much easier way to get there. If, then he fills in his, his command, his luring away. And Jesus here says, no way. Away from me, Satan. He refuses to compromise. Romans 12 says something very similar. Verse one says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. All of you. Not a portion, not half, not some, not a compromised version. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. Remember, we're pleasing God, not anybody else. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. And here's how this works. By changing the way you what? Think. By changing the way you think, we have to begin to do that. One of the strategies, this third strategy, the lust of the eyes, this compromise that Satan will challenge us with is we're thinking, well, what's easier? What's quicker? Instead of saying, well, what does God want? Change the way we think. Then, goes on to say, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Jesus refused to compromise. Notice the progression here, too, of these three ifs. Satan starts with his weakness, saying, man, you're hungry. Do something about it. And Jesus was able to say, no, no, it's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. It's not about my weakness. It's about God's strength. Then Satan says, well, well, what's next? Why, why don't you prove yourself? Show me. Show me how faithful you are, son of God. And Jesus says, I don't have to prove anything to you. 
I aim to please the Father, and that's it. Satan's not getting anywhere, so then he has his, his last card to play, his final if, which Tim's, if the other two haven't gotten us, this one usually does. Well, let's find a compromise. This is where you want to go? You want to be ruler of the world and savior for all? I've got a way for you to do that, Jesus, and it doesn't require you dying on the cross. You just have to bow down to me. And Jesus is able to see the schemes and know the strategies. He's not surprised. And he comes back and says, no. Each time he quotes scripture, he says, I'm, I'm here to worship God and only God, to only serve God. He has all of me and I will not compromise. I will not compromise for one bit. Those are really the three strategies that Satan is going to use against every single one of us this next year. It's going to look different than what he does with Jesus here, but generally speaking, that's how he is going to come after each and every one of us. We have some great plans. We have some great ideas. We've got some, some great intentions and motives for this next year. But no, don't be surprised. Know that he is going to come and he's going to bring challenges and roadblocks and hindrances along the way. And they're going to fall into one of those three categories. It's either going to be that lust of the flesh, it's going to be the pride of life, or it's going to be what First John talked about as the lust of the eyes. Be aware of it. Now, we know we're not going to do this perfectly. We say here a lot that we stumble in the right direction. So if I were to give you a piece of encouragement, not just you're going to have a rough year, the other piece of encouragement for this next year would be to follow the one that has never fallen. Follow the one who has never fallen. We serve a God who came to earth. We just celebrated Christmas, who came to earth to, to walk in our shoes. And he did it to perfection but he didn't just do it to perfection and have the easy road. He dealt with everything that we've dealt with. He experienced all the struggles and the challenges and the temptations that we continue to struggle with. So instead of relying on ourselves, it goes back to, man, I'm going to fall the one who has never fallen. And I know that I'm going to fall, but he, thank God for his grace, allows me to get back up and keep following him. Here's how Hebrews speaks of, of that idea of Jesus never falling. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest, that's talking about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Did you catch that? We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in how many ways? Every way. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, everything that we've gone through, he's already made it through on the other side. Everything that we're struggling with, he's made it through. Every, every challenge that we face, he's made it through. Every difficulty, he's made it through. That's who we follow. We don't just focus on our grand plans for the year. We focus on who's the one that's had plans, had struggles with plans, and has made it through. We follow Jesus. Now, that's a great verse, and I'd, I'd say hang on to it, but I want you to see it in context because it really reveals a lot more about Jesus. If you go the verse before and the verse after, here's what verse 14 says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, talking about he lived, he died, and yes, he rose again. And because he rose again, here's what we do. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Not like church, hold firmly to your faith this next year. Hold tight. When it gets tough, hold tighter. Hold tight to the faith that we profess. What we just read, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So here's what we can do with that. Here's what your year could look like. Let us then approach God's throne of what? 
of grace. Let us approach God's throne, not of condemnation, not of expectation, but of grace. And we can do so with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. And here's a line to underline, to help us in our time of need. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he came for, because of what he experienced, because of the victory that he had, he was tempted in every way, challenged in every way. Yet he made it through perfectly. And because of that, we can hold tight to our faith because he is who he says he is. He's done what he said he would do. But not just that, when we struggle, when we have disappointments and difficulties, what do we do? Let's approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We are all going to have times of need this next year. It's going to be a tough year. But it can be a great year. And great years are not measured in our successes. They're measured in the victories we have in Jesus. They're measured in the times we we say no to the devil and we say yes to him. We focus on his strength instead of our weaknesses. We please him and only him and we don't worry about everybody else. And we refuse to compromise. And then he, as Hebrews says, we get to come before his throne of grace with confidence. Or we will find mercy and grace that will help in our time of need. My prayer for you moving forward in 2017 is that passage in Hebrews. That yes, of course, I hope and pray that you have a great 2017 in, in your work, in your home, in your relationships, in our church. I mean, the list would go on and on and on, but with every hope and with every plan and with every dream and with every goal we set, with every resolution, on the other side of that, we have an enemy who is wanting to pull us away from God, who is going to do everything in his power to lure us away using one of those three ifs. Challenges and difficulties and crisis and tragedy and loss and stress and frustration and disappointment and betrayal. And he, over time, will surprise us and lure us away unless we are aware of how he works. So my prayer is that you're aware of how he works and you're not surprised this year, but when difficulties come, we do exactly what Hebrews tells us. We hold firmly to the faith that we profess because Jesus has made it. He's experienced it, he's walked through it, and he's had victory through it. So may this year be a year of victory in Jesus as we follow the one who's never fallen. Let's pray. Jesus, we start a brand new year. And there's a, there's a lot of hopes and dreams and goals represented in this room this morning. And God, we don't know what the challenges are going to be, but you do. All we, can, all we can know is that they will be there. We will not make it through this year without some scars and some bruises. We may get to a point where we're not sure we're going to make it actually through this year at all. And in those moments, may we not be surprised, but instead, may we hold tightly to the promises of you that yes, we will have troubles in this world, but you've already walked through it. May we find our hope and our faith and our victory in you, Jesus, who's experienced everything that we have and will experience, and you did it perfectly without sin. 
may we follow you, the one who has never fallen. And as we fall, may we continue to stumble in the right direction. Give us the grace and the mercy we need in our time of need. And may this year be a wonderful year in you. In Jesus' name.